God, I need your power and strength. You know my body's a little weak, but my spirit is alive. God, I pray that you would anoint me to preach, anoint your people to receive. Jesus, may you be glorified. May your people be edified and may Satan be terrified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Job chapter 13, verse 15. Can I talk like a senior? You're good, uh, LJ. Thank you, sir. Um, Can I talk like a senior pastor today? We've been in a series, God Chasers, and today we're going to continue that series. Job chapter 13, verse 15, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. Let me get my preaching towel because I plan on spitting today. It's all right. It's like the sea world. First two rows, you get wet. Real simple verse. It says this, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. One more time. Though he slay me, yet have I decided to trust him. And even so, I will defend my own ways before him. You can be seated. I want to preach tonight from the subject, pursuing God in the midst of pain. Pursuing God in the midst of pain. It's easy to praise when the sun is shining and the bills are paid, but what do you do when pain has knocked at your door and has beckoned you to come? One of the questions that I get asked often is, Pastor Dell, why do good, bad things happen to good people? I'll deal with this a little bit later. But in the life of Job, we see someone who is incredibly surrendered to the Lord, who is faithful, and the scriptures would call him righteous, yet he still has to go through a few things. I don't care who you are, how long you've been saved, how many syllables per minute you can speak in tongues, it is promised to every believer that you have to go through some things. I don't want you to be deceived to think that accepting Jesus makes your life easy. Because if we really shared the true testimony for many of us, our life didn't get tough until we surrendered to the Lord. Because before we could surrender to the Lord, we could spend our money how we wanted. We could sleep with whoever we wanted. We could cuss whoever we wanted out and didn't have to apologize. And all of a sudden, now God puts restraints on us. And not only that, uh, the enemy didn't attack us because we used to play on his team. And all of a sudden, now that we serve Jesus, uh, it seems like trouble seems to manage to find us somehow. I need you to understand the premise of my message today, because if you don't get it, you'll miss everything. Everybody has to go through something. Hmm. The Bible says that it rains on both the just and the unjust. And what it means by that is that no matter who you are, whether a church attendee, an usher, or a deacon on the board, it does not matter. It will rain on you. Even if you don't serve Jesus, because some of you are trying to run from God, let me tell you, it's still going to rain. <laughs> Trials and tribulations are meant for the believer. And Paul has three things to say about trials and tribulations. The first thing he says is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. Paul says, don't be surprised when bad stuff starts happening around you. He says, don't even act like you didn't see it coming. He is positioning us to actually expect trial. 
Not only that, Paul says another thing in 2 Timothy, the second chapter, the third verse. He says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The reason that we don't see the victory is because we endure it, but we don't endure it like a good soldier. All right, I'm going to find my help somewhere. Uh, we endure it, but we complain while we endure it. We, we endure it, but we stop going to church while we're enduring it. We endure it, but we don't pray like we used to while we're enduring it. And Paul is telling us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, that for the believer, you can't just go through what you're going through. You've got to go through like a good soldier. Now, I've never joined the army because my grandmother told me don't fight the white man's war. That's a different subject. Uh, but I have seen army people and I've seen drill sergeants. And when you see a officer in the army uh, uh, go out to war, there is a level of discipline that's on their life. Not only is there a level of discipline, but there is an expectation for victory. And so Paul says, don't just go through your trials, but go through like a good soldier. The third thing Paul tells us is in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 4, he tells us a strange thing. Maya, he says, and not only that, but we also glory in, in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, uh, character, and character hope. Paul here is saying, not only can, do you have to go through trial, but you got to rejoice about it. <laughs> When's the last time you rejoiced about the pain you're experiencing? When's the last time you said, God, thank you for the sickness. Thank you that I couldn't pay rent this month. Paul says, you can't just go through it like a good soldier. You got to go through it singing. <laughs> In Psalms chapter 119, verse 71, David said, it is good for me that I had been afflicted that I might know the decrees of the Lord. And now I get why I ought to rejoice with what I'm going through because it's what I'm going through that actually me who God was. Yes, I believe theologically he was a healer, but when cancer hit my body and he healed me, it was no longer information. It became revelation, and I began to know who he, I feel like preaching tonight. You've got to understand that what you're going through, God is trying to produce something, and you may not see it, but he's working it out. So rejoice. Next time you get that final notice, say thank you, Lord. They ain't going to be bothering me no more. Next time the lease comes, just say, thank you, Lord. I just trust you. Next time you're going through something, Paul says you've got to rejoice. Why? Because God, through your trials, watch this, is producing character. I said a bad word, didn't I? I said a bad word, didn't I? Because we want the Holy Ghost, but we don't want character. We want good church, but we don't want character. We want to pastor, but we don't want to be pastored. We, yeah, y'all don't want to talk to me, but I'm going to preach to myself. See, we want to go through all these things, but you got to understand the reason why we're going through it. Let me tell you, I know you know how to pray now, but the reason you know how to pray is because you got your heart broken. And you had no choice but to pray. Yeah, yeah, you know how to worship now, but you didn't always worship like you worship now. Now, look at you, you, you just worship in mascara on the back of your head, eyelashes somewhere on the third row. And how did you get there? It's because you went through some stuff and you saw that God was a, I feel like preaching. He was able to carry you through. It was good that I was afflicted because in my affliction, I've come to find out who God is. Slow down, Del. So we come to Job. And Job, minding his own business, Job. Not bothering nobody, Job. Faithful to the Lord 
Job has to begin to endure trials that he did not deserve because he was righteous. I just want to ask you a quick question, because when God got ready to test Job, the result is that he's getting tested and he goes through trials, but the way that comes about is that Satan goes up to the boardroom of heaven and has a conversation with God and says, God, the only reason why Job is even serving you is because you've got his bills paid, his wife is fine, his kids are doing well, he's got plenty of cattle, but if you just let me touch him a little bit, I promise you he won't serve you. And God said to Satan, you know what? You can go ahead and serve him. You just can't, I mean, you can go ahead and mess with him. You just can't kill him. And, and here's the, the question I have for you. Can God trust you with trial? <laughs> Can you be trusted with tribulation? <laughs> can, can he trust you with the battles and the vicissitudes of life? Can God trust you with trial? Because Job is not getting ready to go through what he's getting ready to go through because he's backslidden. He's through it because he's actually living right for the Lord. And some of you are saying, well, I just never experienced warfare in my life. Why would the enemy attack you when you play on the same team? But for those of us who live righteously before the Lord, we have to position ourselves in expectation that the enemy doesn't like how we're living. You think the enemy's glad that you stole his job? Let me tell you what Job goes through. <laughs> the Bible says the first thing that happens is that the Sabaeans, which would be modern-day Yemen, uh, come about and they steal a bunch of the cattle of Job. And understand this, that cattle equal economy. So what they're doing is siphoning his, uh, his bank account. They take a lot of his stuff, and in case that wasn't enough, the Bible says that the fire of God fell down from heaven and sucked up the rest of the cattle. So what the enemy didn't take, God allowed to be taken. And in that, not only was his cattle burned by the fire of God, but the Bible says his entire house was burned including all the servants. So he's lost his staff. He's got no support system. God goes back up. I mean, devil goes back up to heaven and says, can I do some more? And God has the audacity to say, keep going. <laughs> I don't know about you, but the last three years, it feels like the devil has just not let up. But I get it now. See, I get it because the reward that you get for passing this test, you're not going to like this, is to get another test. Come on, you graduated first grade, you didn't have to stop taking tests in second grade, you still had to keep taking tests. You got to understand something that the reward for passing the last test is the next test. So the enemy keeps on and his servants die and then his ten, ten children die. Not only that, but the enemy touches his body and he has boils all over his body to the point where it would cause pain. You think you're going through something because two people unfriended you online. They, they blocked me and you think you're going, that's not a trial, that's your ego. See, what Job is experiencing is the rug being pulled from under him. Everything is being taken from him to the point where he can't even sit down. And we don't know how long this trial lasts. Theologians assume that it was at least a few months that it lasts. So imagine he's walking around with no money, no support, no economy, no house, no staff. And to make it worse, his wife and his friends don't get what he's going through. Now, it's bad to go through some, something, but it's horrible to not have your friends understand what you're going through. 
I, I know you can't talk like I can talk, but I've gone through some things where I go, man, not even my friends get what I'm going through. Because his friends look at Job and say, the reason you're experiencing this is because you're in sin. And let me talk to you religious, pessimistic prophets. I came to fight today. Um, they, because understand something, you got to be careful who's around you. Now, the reason you got to be careful is because you've got in this season, especially in this season, you've got to be surrounded with prophetic people who have insight to what God's doing in your life that even if they can't do anything about it, they've got a prayer life and they can intercede for you. But Job is surrounded by people who don't get what he's going through. And as a matter of fact, they keep attacking him because as humans, we are great observers, but horrible interpreters. That's why you ought to keep your mouth off of people. Okay, let me say it this way so nobody gets mad. I said, Dale, you ought to keep your mouth off of people. Yeah, you got to keep it. Because you don't ever know why people are going through what they're going through. You don't know why they came to church late. You don't know why they're in a backslidden state. You don't know how their heart was broken. You don't know who they've lost or what they've lost. You've got to be careful because you might be observing something that you're incorrectly interpreting. This is why you've got to be a person of love and grace. Your responsibility ain't to grow people. You don't grow people. You're not Holy Spirit Junior. It is our job to plant, our job to water, but it is God who gives the increase. Oh, I got a church in here now. When we come to the 13th chapter of Job in the 15th verse, we are listening to a conversation that Job is having with his friends who are doubtful. And in the defense of himself, he comes to the to the conclusion of what we see in Job chapter 13. Because his friends have said, the reason you're experiencing what you're experiencing is because you're living in sin. And he goes on for a couple of chapters to explain that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be his name. And after admitting that he is not living in sin, but rather he has been tested by God, we find verse 15 where it says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, and even so I will defend my own ways before him. For the Christians who are taking notes, I want to break this down into three parts because he says, Though he slay me, then he says, Yet will I trust him, and then he says, I will defend my own ways before him. Can we work the text for a little bit? All right, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you, Anthony. Right, let me work it from behind. The, the Bible says that he says to them, I will defend my ways before God. I, I just want to ask you real quick, and it's rhetorical. Um, with the life that you're living now, would you actually be able to defend your ways before God? I'm not talking about what your pastor can see. I'm talking about in the midnight hour. When your bed is rocking and talking. Mm -hmm. Can you defend your ways? No, because you do know that God doesn't just see your public ministry. He sees your private persona. And I want to know, can you defend the way that you're living before the Lord? Now, I know this is a generation that doesn't believe in holiness, and holy is the new four-letter word, and nobody wants to preach about it. But the Bible says that he's coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for a bride that is living in holiness. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that there's a highway to heaven, and that highway is called holiness. It's telling us that the road is paved with holiness if you want to make it up to heaven. And Job says, I can defend my life before the Lord. Can you? Hmm. The word defend in the Hebrew comes from this word that I'm going to butcher. It's Y-A-K-A-C-H. You 
Koch. Amen. If you can say it better, preach it. This word is interesting because uh, the word I will defend, defend, it's yakah, and it doesn't just mean defend. The word also means to maintain. So what Job is saying, not only will I defend my ways before the Lord, but in spite of what I'm going through, I'm going to maintain my ways before the Lord. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. Consistency is the language of the mature. (laughs) Well, I got a lot of nuggets for you today. You cannot call yourself mature and have no consistency in your life. I mean, nobody can depend on you. You're flaky at your job. You're flaky in your ministry. You're flaky all around. And and what Job is telling us, he's saying, not only can I defend my ways, but in spite of what I'm going through, I'm not about to switch it up. I'm going to dance with the one who who brought me, meaning I'm going to, if it got me this far the way that I'm living, I believe that my lifestyle is going to sustain me. And what the enemy wants to do is create havoc in your life so that you start living differently than how you've already been living in righteousness. But Job says, I am not going to let the vicissitudes of life change my lifestyle. I'm going to stay faithful and stay consistent. Daniel, the sixth chapter, the 10th verse. Daniel is being attacked by some folks who don't like him, and he ain't done nothing wrong to nobody, and they've made a rule, and they've said, when the music plays, you've got to bow before me, and you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that story. But before that happens, they say, you may only worship the king. See, let me tell you something about humanism. The world is bent, systematically bent, so that you can worship you. Don't want you to worship God want you to worship you. That's why you respond to your desires more than you respond to the desires of the Lord. Because you're really God in your own life. But watch what Daniel does in spite of the decree and the law. Now it's illegal for him to worship and pray like he's always done. And, and some of us would have been like, uh, we, we would have gone on protest January 6th. Uh, we need our freedoms. You need to stop protesting and start praying. I was in a pastor's meeting, which I don't get invited back too much um, because apparently I'm hostile. But they were fussing and talking about, well, you know, they're taking prayer out of schools, and, and that's why, what's wrong? I said, that's not the problem. We've taken prayer out of his house. We've been having morning, I feel like beating y'all up, so let me go there. We've been having morning prayer every Saturday this month, and only 10 of y'all have been showing up when our church has at least 60 people in it. The prayer, the prayer not being in the school is not the problem. It's prayer not being in you and I's life that is the problem. Oh, see, there he goes. He's preaching condemnation. That just means you're not in Christ because according to Scripture, those who are in Christ can't experience condemnation. This isn't condemnation. And let me tell you, you better be careful because what this generation calls condemnation, the Bible calls conviction. Some of us don't want to feel bad about sin, but you ought to have a godly sorrow about your compromises. Let's watch what Daniel does in the 6th chapter to the 10th verse. It says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, meaning that the new law had been uh, placed in existence, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Watch this last part. As was his custom since early days. See, some of us don't get a prayer life until we start going through. 
We don't start fasting. You know, we fast in the beginning of the year, and then we don't fast until trouble hits our door. But the Bible says that Daniel responds in the exact same way. Why? Because consistency is the language and the character of the mature. You, you, you can't tell me that you're a mature believer and you don't have a consistent prayer life. I get it. We slip and fall sometimes, Claudia. We don't always have it right every day. I'm missing Bible readings every now and then. But you ought to overall have a consistency in your devotion to the Lord so that when trouble comes, you don't have to fast. You're already fasted. All right, let me help you out to give you more scripture because I hear, I don't know about all that. Let me help you out. Um, Jesus comes up to his disciples and they were trying to cast out uh, this from this kid and the father gets frustrated and he says your disciples don't have power because not everybody who walks with Jesus walks in his power (laughs) and Jesus goes ahead he doesn't have a conference meeting he doesn't call Benny Hinn he doesn't have a prayer partner he lays hands and he casts out the sickness and the demon and then the disciples look and say teach us how you do that and Jesus said some only come out by fasting and praying come here This happens in a few verses. When did you have time to fast and pray? I'll tell you when in Mark chapter 5, he woke up early to go away from his disciples on top of a hill to pray and seek the Lord. He was praying before he needed to pray so that when he needed the power and the deposit. See, let me tell you what the problem is. Some of y'all are trying to make withdrawals where you've not made a deposit. I feel good now. Uh, We took the offering right. Okay. Um, Some of y'all are trying to make withdrawals. Well, I just don't know why. I pray for people with a headache and it turns to a migraine. It's because you can't pray in the day of trouble and expect God to move. You have to have a, watch this, a lifestyle that is consistent with what you believe. I didn't mean to preach this hard, but my auntie Tootie is pushing me. You can only be consistent in your pursuit when you have a firm foundation in Christ. See, if you don't have a firm foundation, everything will knock you off course. See, this is one of the reasons why I even told you in January, why don't you just not travel so much? Why don't you just be still and just get rooted? Some of y'all have been coming to church here for a year, two years, even three years, and you're still not rooted. You need a firm foundation. Let me tell you what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings, and mind you, Jesus had just taught on this, and watch what he says. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, you can't just like good preaching. You've got to live good preaching. Stop being impressed with how many scriptures you can quote. That proves to me that you have a good memory. The scriptures that you live shows me about your lifestyle. Because I know a whole bunch of demons who can quote scripture. As a matter of fact, the devil knows the word way better than anybody in this room. And knowing the word is not a sign that you're a mature Christian. Living the word. You can quote about forgiveness, but if you don't live forgiveness. I don't know why I said that, but somebody over here needed to hear that. Uh, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You know those people who are always going through? I mean, you really try to have grace, but you'd be like, not today. 
I just got to send you to voicemail today. It's, I mean, oh, I got a toothache and just, I'm losing my salvation. I just, man, I just don't know. I got this toothache and God doesn't love me. You know what that is? That's just a shaky, sandy foundation. People with firm foundations are not easily shaken. James Bond liked his drinks shaken and not stirred, but for the believer, we are not shaken, we are stirred. Trials should not shake you, they should stir you. But if you don't have a firm foundation in Christ, if you're, not, if you're rooted in religion and not Jesus, if you're rooted in tradition and denominationalism and not Jesus, everything will blow your house down. After he says, I can defend my ways before the Lord, the second thing he says there, he says, I will continue to trust him. And I want to ask you a question. Let's be honest. Where's your trust at today? Just where is it? Let's, let's be honest. Have, let's have a little check-in. Do you say that you trust him, but, or do you really trust him? Hmm. Give you another Hebrew word that I can't pronounce. The word trust there is Y-A-C-H-A-L, yakal, which means not only to trust, but watch this, Darissa, it means to wait. Now, he says, I will continue to trust him. But that word can also mean I, can, I will continue to wait on him. Here's how I can tell how well you're trusting, by how well you're waiting. Because mm. it ain't easy to wait. <laughs> it ain't easy to wait. Um, you, you might find it easy to wait on your McDonald's, but it's not easy to wait on the Lord. I know that it's not easy to wait on the Lord because love, the scriptures would tell us to wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Why would I need to be of good courage? Anybody who's ever waited on the Lord, you know why you need courage. Because Lord, if you don't come through, you better fix it, Lord. Because I'm going to knock every teeth to the back of their throat in Jesus' name. Come on, where's my ratchet gangster folks? Who you, you're delivered, but you're still being delivered. You're, Lord, I'm just... Mm. God, if you don't come through, I might have to call that ex to ask for a couple of extra dollars, and I might have to do something strange for a little change, but I'm just, oh, y'all don't want to talk. Y'all forgot who your pastor was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about, because you, you still got some numbers you ain't deleted, and they can provide a little pay stuff for you every now and then. Okay. Uh, <laughs> See, how you're waiting shows me how you're trusting, because it takes courage to wait on the Lord. Waiting on God is not easy. So I want to ask you, how are you waiting? Are you waiting anxiously? Or are you waiting like the Bible tells you to wait, patiently? Because every waiting does not equate to the waiting that God calls us to. You're preaching good today, Dale. Thank you very much. Psalms chapter 37, verse 7. It says this, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. It says, rest in the Lord. When's the last time you just enjoyed resting in the Lord? I mean, some of us, we come into the presence of God and we're filled with so much anxiety. We're filled with so much worry. We're filled with so many thoughts, and because we don't know how to regulate our soul, we allow our emotions to overwhelm and to overtake us. But the psalmist said here, he said, you've got to learn how to rest in the Lord, how to just chill out a little bit, how to relax, how to just give it to God and stop worrying. 
But not only do you need to rest in the Lord, you need to wait patiently. Now, I'm, I'm decent at a few of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, I know there's one fruit, but I'm decent. And, uh, and don't y'all say no. Y'all be quiet. Don't amen. Um, but uh, patience is, um, I'm, so he, I, I'm missing that anointing. Like, like God was like, oh, I'm going I'm to make him preach. He's going to be able to hold a note and sing a little bit. I'm going to make him good looking. Um, at least when he gets his hair cut. Um, patience, nah. Let him work on that one. And, and I struggle. Because I'll be praying, y'all. I'm like, Lord, give me patience. Right now. Please don't make me wait, Lord. Give me patience right now. Anybody ever pray? <laughs> oh, it's just me. Uh, but not only are you called to wait and rest on the Lord, but you're called to wait patiently on the Lord. Waiting becomes hard. Trusting becomes hard when you're trusting and waiting on and for the wrong thing. So let me ask you another rhetorical question since you're taking good notes. What are you waiting for? See, here's where we make the mistake. We put our trust in answered prayer instead of the God who answers prayer. Let me help you out. No longer are you to believe for healing. Come on. Teach. Teach. Uh, y'all look so confused. No, I'm just believing for a financial breakthrough. And that's why you continue to walk in disappointment. Because God is not your prostitute that you pay a 10% fee to and does whatever you want him to do. Some of the prayers he's not going to answer because of his grace. Okay, you don't believe me. Look at your exes. I'm, I mean, you prayed, Lord, they the one. Ashata, retie my bow tie. Mama, my knee hurts. Like, you just to the you. I thank God for every prayer he answered, but I thank him more for the ones he didn't. Because the spirit of stupid in that season and the stuff that I, you ought to be grateful that he doesn't answer all my prayer because I would have done some of y'all funerals by now. You ought to be grateful that God, okay, I shouldn't have said that. You ought to be grateful that God doesn't always answer prayers. So my question is, what then do we wait for? You're not supposed to wait for the healing. You're supposed to trust in the healer. You missed it. It's not the deliverance that we're believing for. It's the deliverer that we're believing for. Why is this important? Because if your trust, if your faith, if you're waiting on anything else besides the Lord, you can expect to be disappointed because God is the only consistent thing in life that will never disappoint you. He might not heal you, but he'll come through. He might not deliver, but he'll come through. He might not bring a financial breakthrough, but he will come through. And you will never be disappointed waiting on the Lord. I sit with people all the time. We say, I did that church thing. I say, you didn't do it right. See, you're, the problem with many of us that don't even go to church anymore, that don't have a connection with God, is because we were using God to do our own thing. Let me, let me break this down for you. Um, because yes, you got saved. But you didn't get delivered and set free. And so before you met Jesus, you lusted after things of the world. You wanted the beautiful thing, the wife, the husband, whatever it is. You wanted the nice car. You wanted the nice house. And all of a sudden you get saved. And instead of allowing God to transform your desires and walking through a process we call the desert season, because in between every Egypt and Canaan, there's always a desert season. Why? Because in Egypt, you ate melon and leeks. But in the Canaan, the promised land, you're going to have milk and honey. And so God will take you through a season called the desert where you'll have something called manna, which tastes like nothing. It's boring and it's mundane. Why? Because God is trying to change your taste buds. 
Because many of us wanted the car, the house, and the beautiful wife. We got saved but not delivered, and now we want the house, the car, and the beautiful wife for Jesus. And we disguise our lust with religion. I just, you know, I'm just the Lord's going to fulfill my purpose. You don't have a purpose, friend. Everybody, what's my purpose? You egotistical, prideful, self-centered believer. What's my purpose? Your purpose is his purpose. The Bible says for those who are called according to his purpose. And as a matter of fact, you'll never know what you're designed to do until you start talking to the manufacturer. You don't need to find your purpose. You need to find a place to serve. Because the Bible says that your gifts will make room for you. It's going to open up doors and set you before men of great wealth and integrity. This is good teaching. I'm trying to help you understand that if you learn how to wait on the Lord instead of stuff, your disappointment will begin to wane. Am I helping anybody tonight? Psalms chapter 130, verses 5 through 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord. Hear that, my soul. Now, you and I know that we are made up of three parts. We're made up of flesh, and some of us have a little bit more flesh than others, and it's all right. We heat in the winter and shade in the summer. Good God Almighty. Um, We're made up of spirit, and we're made up of soul. Spirit is how we connect to God. Our flesh is how we live for God. But our soul is the seat of our emotions, and it's how we love God. So if your soul is unregulated or unbroken, your love for God will be erratic and broken. This is why we do so much focus on trying to get you into therapy, which you'll crazy tell. Mm -hmm. I know you don't like this kind of teaching because you just want somebody to speak tongues over you and do spiritual osmosis and you get delivered. But let me tell you something. Some of your deliverance is not in the spirit realm. Yes, some curses need to be broken in the spirit. But for many of you, your addictions, your function, your dysfunction, it really rests in the area of the soul. Why am I saying this? Because the psalmist here says, my soul hopes in the Lord. I've taught my emotions to align with what my spirit believes. That my emotions often lie to me, which is why they can't rule me. I've got to be led by my spirit. And I have to make my flesh. I've got, see, my spirit wants to pray early in the morning and it wants to seek the Lord. But my flesh don't. But my flesh doesn't get to run my life. That's why some of y'all are erratic and out of order right now. Because you allow your emotions. You would be married now. I'm going to just scan the room so nobody gets mad at me. You'd be married now if you'd learn how to regulate your emotions. See, your soul wants to stray as it often does. But the psalmist here says, my soul has found hope in the Lord. See, we're called to wait on the Lord, not answer prayers, which is why in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 through 8, it says this. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength. For some of you who do it all by yourself, that's why you don't like to ask for help. Because it's all depending on you. (laughs) Say out your amen, either one will do. He said, cursed is the man who thinks he can do it in his own strength. Cursed, Mm. whose heart has departed from the Lord. Verse 6, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. Did you hear that? He won't see when good comes. 
You folks who want to do everything on your own, good stuff is happening to you and you can't even see it because you're so busy building your own kingdom. I counsel folks who think that their life is miserable and I'm looking at it and I'm going, you can't even see the good that's happening because you're so focused on what you're doing and what you can't do and you're complaining and all that stuff. And I can introduce you to people who will dream of having your trials. But watch this, verse 7, blessed is the man, somebody say blessed. blessed. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its, its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. This is the description of a blessed man. A person who has learned to place their soul's hope in the Lord. You know the word hope is not a futuristic term. It's a past tense term. Faith is futuristic. Faith is what we're believing for. Hope is taking a look back at what God has done so that we can be stirred with hope. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, which tells me that hope and faith are not the same thing. It not only says that, it says faith is substantive. Well, I said that word wrong, but you got it. I didn't graduate college, so make up for me. Um, it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. So it's got to be tangible if it's going to be faith. But focusing on hope, what is hope? The children of Israel, when they would need hope, what they would do is that they would look at what God had done, and that would stir them to know that God can do it again, and they would begin to apply their faith and watch what God would do. Does this make sense? Why do I say this? Because the only way you're going to stay in mad pursuit in the midst of your pain is if you're not hoping for better days, but you're looking back on the days that God has already been good, and you, you need to learn how to get those leftovers and microwave them again. Microwave those testimonies again. Put them back in the microwave and start remembering, yeah, 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 I, I know I'm going through, but this ain't the first time I've gone through trial. This ain't the first time my rent's been due and I don't know how I'm going to pay it. This ain't the first marital spout that I've had. And if God did it before, he can do it again. This year, I need you to dedicate working on your emotions and making them consistent in the hope of the Lord. Somebody say yes. yes. You've got to learn how to trust God when you can't trace God. You've got to learn how to trust him even when you can't trace him. Job chapter 23, verses 8 through 10. I need you to see this. Job was making a declaration and he said, look, I go forward, but he is not there. He being God and backwards, but I cannot perceive God. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as pure gold. I feel like preaching. Job says, I looked to my left and I couldn't see God. I looked to my right and I couldn't even perceive him. Now, I know you can't admit this because you're a superstar Christian, but have you ever gone through seasons where it feels like God has disappeared? <laughs> you can't pay a prophet to give you a word. It feels like your prayers are hitting the ceiling. And to make it worse, you look around you and you see that all that God is doing for everybody else and he's got the unmitigated goal not to do something for you. It's bad enough that I'm going through the trial that I'm going through. On top of that, you're going to tell me that you're, I can't even 
Well, you, I can't even insist you. I got to read the word with no revelation. I got to pray and don't feel the chill bumps. There, there are seasons that we walk through at times, and, and God is always present. We know theologically that He can't go anywhere. He's everywhere all the time, at all times. God is omnipresent. But there are moments where His tangibility, where his, the sense of His identity and who He is, we just don't see it. And Job is now at this point where he says, I look all around me and I cannot find the evidence of God's presence. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I'm coming out as true. Job, come here. Why would you tell Talk about him knowing the ways that he takes. Because you're going to go through seasons where you've got to trust him, where you cannot trace him. And Job was saying, even though I don't know where he is, he knows where I am. <laughs> David, Job says, he knows the way that I take. I, I may feel like I'm not going the right way. I may be feeling like I'm all alone, but I know that God has his eyes on me. I know that God is watching over me. That ought to encourage somebody in the house tonight. Last part. Not only does he say, I will continue to trust in the Lord, but he finally, in the beginning of that verse, in verse 15, he says, though he slay me. Jaden, here's the, the problem I have theologically. Job doesn't blame it on the devil. <laughs> Job doesn't blame it on another church member doesn't even blame what he's going through on his enemies. He says, um, I need you to know something. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to defend my ways. I'm going to maintain my walk with the Lord. But I need you all to know something. It's God who's slaying me right now. Wait, wait, wait. What do you do when God's the one killing you? <laughs> Kelly, who do you pray to when it's God who's slaying you? How, how do you intercede to a God who's in charge of your dilemma? <laughs> how do you serve and worship a God who instigated your tribulation? Yeah, it's easy. Shout out, no, 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 no. Devil, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. The blood, the blood, the blood. But the blood don't work on Jesus. Mm -hmm. You can't rebuke the Savior of the world. He said, though... He slayed me. And before you start getting theologically inaccurate, I need you to see that this is a principle that we see all throughout Scripture. You see it in the life of Jesus. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, I want this cup to pass away from me, but nevertheless, and every believer has got to have a nevertheless in their moment of despair, that yes, God, I ain't going to be honest. I don't want to go through what I'm going through. I don't want to be hurt like I'm being hurt, but God, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And we know theologically that the wrath of God was laid on his own son, and you think he's not going to do something with you? <laughs> Paul, even in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, he had a thorn in his flesh. And we know that it's either metaphorical, but most likely it was physiological. He says, I prayed three times for God to take the pain away. And he said, no. What do you do when God says, nah, -uh, you're staying in this one? <laughs> Where do you run? When the God who lives everywhere is the one chasing after you. 
Paul said, I prayed, I interceded, I had folks lay hands on me, I pulled out the oil, I brought out every tongue that I knew how to bring out, I warred in the spirit, I prayed, and God said no. Because here's what I'm finding out, Lena, about life. God wants to know, do you really love me? No, 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 do you love me for me? Or am I your side piece? Am I the one that you call on when you need a little bit of loving? Am I the one you call on when the bank account is low? Or are you like the three Hebrew boys? Because there are two types of believers in the church. The Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abad Negro are standing in front of the fire, and they have turned the fire up. Yes, I said Abad Negro. They have turned the fire up seven times, and the fire has gotten so hot that the same people who were trying to place him in the fire ended up getting uh, dead themselves. And it's a bad sign when your enemies are getting uh, not prospering by the same thing that you're not prospering by. But before they go into the fire, the Bible says as they look at that old king and they say, we know that God is able to deliver us, but just in case it's not his sovereign will to do it in this season, he is still worthy. Now, two types of praisers in the room today. There are some of us who praise God because he paid the bills. There are some of us that praise God because he paid the car note. There are some of us that praise God because he gave us the soulmate. There are some of us who praise God because we got into the school that we wanted. But there's about two and a half of us in this room that say, God, if you don't pay another bill, God, if I don't, if I got to die single and don't get to have sex for the rest of my life, there are some of us in this room that say like David, you can have the car, you can have the house, you can have the mansion. But this one thing I ask, take not your presence away from me. Do you really love me? Because when God starts pulling away stuff, it'll start proving whether you love him or not. Yeah, your worship, it's great because you're, you're not going through anything. But can you worship when you still start going through? Oh, oh, it's, it's great to have a prayer life when your marriage is at the top of the mountain. But what do you do when you're in the season of dark valleys? <laughs> See, whether we like it or not, God will allow trouble to come because of his sovereign plan. The reason we have a hard time with understanding that God allows us to go through the things of life that are hard. Watch this, and I'm gonna hurt your feelings, I'm just warning you. Um, it's because you're entitled. You actually think that you don't deserve to go through anything. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting every corner tonight. We, we, we diving into crevices. You entitled millennial Gen Z generation everything handed to you easily and when it's not handed to you easily you just think I don't want it I don't need it in my life see see I need to talk to people in the room who need to strengthen their devotion with the Lord but you've got to break the spirit of entitlement here's how you know if you're entitled people come to me and they say I told you at the beginning of this message they come and they ask me why do bad things happen to good people and I always Jessica take them to the text where there is a rich young ruler and he has a bunch of stuff, and he could have been Jesus' 13th disciple, but Jesus told him, leave your stuff and follow me. Because, oh, everybody wants to follow Jesus. He's attractive. Nobody wants to leave their stuff and follow Jesus. <laughs> you trying to, some of y'all right now spiritually got some back pocket that you're carrying from the world. 
And what happens? He comes up to him and says, good teacher, addressing Jesus. And Jesus makes a statement. You remember what it was. He said, there is only one who is good. What Jesus is doing there is he's saying, if you're going to call me a good teacher, there's only one who's good, and that's God. He's saying, you must be admitting the fact that I am God. That's not what I want to deal with right now, though that's true. What he's saying here is that you ain't as good as you think. (laughs) You goody two-shoes. Yeah, because here's the thing. God knows your thoughts. Listen, don't look at me in that tone of voice. If we put your thoughts up on the screen right now, you put up that little church of God in Christ finger and step on out right now. Because even me, your pastor, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost and that of a mighty burning fire, I got some thoughts that I have to render before the Lord at times. We and I are not as good as we think. That's why we go through the trials of life, because God is trying to actually make us good. I was talking to Lena, who's the admin of our church, and I was telling her, man, now that we're going to start doing some other stuff in here, like, you might end up seeing some drama, and you might see some stuff, and I want to teach you how to handle this. And she was like, oh, oh, no, I don't want to see it. I don't want to be in no drama. I said, listen, you need to learn how to be in drama and how to work it out, because that's how God begins to chisel your character. It's seeing and going through some tough stuff, because you're not as good as you think. But in the chiseling of the Holy Spirit's surgery table, he will make you good. Somebody say yes. Yes. Job chapter 2, verse 10, and somebody grab LJ for me. Job chapter 2, verse 10. Job is talking to his wife, and I'm, I'm getting emotional right now because I've been where Job's wife is. Job's wife, I'm not, I'm not... I'm not stunting her. I'm not giving her a hard time because I too have wanted to give up sometimes. I too have wanted to throw in the towel at times. His wife looks at Job and says, with everything that you're going through, you can't even sit straight because of all the boils that are in your body. Come on, LJ, let's go home. Uh, You can't even sit straight because of the things that are over your body. Your bank account is empty. You've got no more family, no more kids. Why don't you just curse God and die? And Job looks at her and says this, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we not indeed accept the good from God and not accept the bad? What Job is saying here is that if you're going to accept everything that God gives you, you've got to accept it in its totality. You've got to accept the good days and you have to accept the bad days. And the reason why some of us have lost our pursuit in the midst of pain is because we have not accepted what we're going through. You delusional, indelial believer. Some of you, that's why, oh, I'm just going to worship my way through this. No, no, you're trying to ignore your situation. That's why you work so many hours at work. It's because you're trying to ignore your situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and some of you need to learn how to accept not just the good, but you got to learn how to accept the bad. They come as a package deal. They are roommates in the same house. You've got to learn how to accept both as they come. I was, um, you know, Maya, you, she has one of my favorite kids, Try Try. And, um, and Triumph, uh, about a month ago, we went to Enchanted in San Jose. Now, if you've never been, we're going to make this an annual thing because that was fun. I thank love for putting that together. We went to Enchanted, and, you know, if you know me, I love Christmas and the holidays, Thanksgiving, all that stuff. And uh, we go, and my heart, I was just beaming. I was like, yes, we are going. And I kept talking to Try and, and kept talking to Faye and saying, are you guys excited to go ice skating? And I showed them ice skating, and they were so excited. 
I mean, we're putting on the shoes on Triumph, the little shoes, and he's beaming, just smile. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready, right? Well, it didn't sound like that because he muffles when he talks. I have to interpret it. Um, And then we were good. Heck of good. I mean, just stepping slowly. I didn't know how to skate either, so we just... And then right when we step on the ice, I was talking to Maya about this, he started weeping. And I said to him, I said, what's the matter? And he's looking up, and he wasn't really scared of the ice. He was scared of the amount of people that were around him. It was intimidating all these big people around him. And he just started crying, and we're, we're holding the wall because I can't skate, and he can't skate, and we're just going. And I said, Triumph, I know you're scared, but we got to do this at least one time through. We got And I'm coaching him, and I got Lisa next to me. She's on the ice outside of the ring. And if you know Lisa, she's watching. She's gangster, yo. And, she's, and I said, Lisa, man, I'm, this is slowing me down. I just kind of want to zoom all the way through one time. And so I zoom, and she said, I got this. And she's trying to help him get through. And I finally come around and Triumph's nowhere to be found. And basically what has happened, people felt bad for him because he was crying so much in the ice rink. And they were like, well, he, he's being traumatized. You got to take him out. It's, and, and I was talking to Maya about this. And she said to me, she said, we don't raise punks. At all. I said, was it bad for me to try to get him? She said, no, I would have done the same thing. You need to at least go through one time. Listen, here's why. Because there are some things that God is doing in your life that are not good to you, but it's good for you. Did you hear what I said? That it may not be good to you, but it is good for you. You say, Pastor Dell, if I'm honest, I am in a painful situation in my life today, what does it look like to pursue God in the midst of my pain? Three points. Number one, steward your soul and steward it well. Number two, in your suffering, don't just focus on yourself, focus on others. Number three, Stay consistent in your praise. Number one, steward your soul. Point A under number one, you don't not go like this, but you got to learn how to be honest this year. That's point A, under steward your soul. You got to learn how to be honest because honesty is the price that you and I have to pay for healing. You will never get a breakthrough without being honest about what you're going through. And let me tell you, God is okay with your honesty. We look, at the, we look at the Psalms and we think that David is bipolar and he wasn't bipolar. Friends, he was honest. He, he'd look up one day and he'd say, God, kill my enemies and let me see them. That is theologically not the best prayer to pray, but it was honest. He looks around and one day he says, I'm depressed. Let me give you the New Testament or the Old Testament version of that. He said, oh, so why are you downcast? But here's the deal. This generation has gotten really good at becoming self-aware without becoming fixed. So we process, but we don't heal. Some of us can be honest about our situation, but let me tell you, in being honest, point number two, you've got to learn how to always land on hope. It's not enough to... 
it's, it's okay to sit back and go, man, I lost the job and I hate that I lost that job. I love that job. I thought I was going to die in that career. It's okay to be honest, but you got to do what David said. He, David said, so why are you downcast and why are you disquieted in me? Place your hope in God. Yes, be honest, but land on hope. Somebody say yes. Psalms 42 verse 5, that's the scripture reference where he says, my soul is disquieted in me. But number three, and this is real, this is real easy. This year, look at me, look at me real quick, my good eye right here. I need you to go to therapy this year. Look at me. I need you to get counseling this year because you're not going to take another year and let your soul be unregulated. You are missing blessings because you don't know how to control your temper. You're missing your blessings because you don't know how to step out of that depression. And you need professionals. I remember telling a young lady years ago, I said, man, what you're going through, I think you need to go see a therapist. And she felt so insulted. I said, no, what I'm saying is I think you need to find somebody professionally who can help you unpack the stuff that you don't even understand about yourself. Because some of you are victim to your emotions because you've never processed your emotions. Not only that, not only do you need to get therapy, but you need to get godly counsel. There are two types of people in the church. There are the pastored and the bastard. There are the pastored and there are the bastard. And only one will plant roots and develop fruit. And this year, I need you to start sitting down with your pastor and going over your life so somebody on the outside of your situation can help you steward your emotions to go, no, 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 I, I, know, I know that feels right, but she's a hoe. Don't go with her. No, 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 that's not your one right there. I know you want that job, but you, no, 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 God's calling you somewhere different. No, 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 don't move on that unction. Don't move on that function. You need somebody who can help coach you until you learn how to steward your own soul. Somebody say, get help. The second thing you've got to do in your pain as you pursue God and your suffering, don't just focus on yourself, focus on others. This was not going to be a part of my sermon, Sarah, but then I read Job chapter 42, verse 10, because I was trying to figure out when did, I feel like running out that door. I was trying to figure out, Chelsea, when did God turn Job's situation around? Because we do know that he got double for his trouble. We do know that he got more after he survived and got victorious. But look at Job chapter 42, verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Deep. I'm giving you the Bible right here. The Bible says, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. In your pain, stop focusing on you because you were never built to implode. That's why some of you are so messed up now and why you're so overwhelmed is because you're not focused on others. You're focused on yourself. Look at me for a second. Where are you serving? I'm not talking about an usher. That's once a, once a week, twice, twice a month. I'm asking you in your life, who else are you serving that can't give back to you? Yeah, I know you like to give me gifts because you want pastor's favor, but why don't you honor people next to you like you honor the people on the pulpit? Thank you for the two muted claps. I'll take what I got. You got to learn how to serve other people in this season. You got to learn how to get your mind off of yourself. Get your mind off of your trouble and start helping people with their trouble. And you'll see that while you're working with somebody else, God is behind the scenes working out stuff for you. 
What would happen if you would look even in this church? There are needs all across this church. We have people, I, I, let me not go there. We got folks with all kinds of needs. You need to find somebody to serve. And let me tell you, it is hard to serve when you're suffering your own pain. Darissa, 2016 was a hard year for me. Cried a lot that year. In February, I lost one of my closest friends, my full-time music director, who traveled with me full-time, anointed musicians, one of the most anointed musicians I've ever met. I get a phone call one morning, early in the morning, and say Yahashua has died of a heart attack at 25 years old. I crawled into the fetal position in my bed, didn't get out of it for two days, and I wept. Then that Sunday I was scheduled to preach and normally because of such a close death, I would tell them Can we cancel. But I got up that Sunday and said God is a heart regulator and God is a healer because in the midst of my pain, I'm not going to stop serving the body of Christ. And I'm not talking about an unhealthy level of serving. I'm talking about I am not going to let the enemy push me into a corner where my life is about me, where everything that I, there's somebody that I used to want to date and I looked at them and I said, your life is all about you. I don't even want to be with you because it is not attractive to be selfish. It's not attractive just be about yourself. When's the last time you got your mind off of your own troubles and put it on somebody else's? Well, I just don't feel like I can do anything for anybody else. Neither did Job, which is why he prayed. The least you could do is pray. My last point and then we're out of here. Stay consistent in your praise. Stay consistent in your praise. Don't let the enemy steal your praise this year. Because one of the greatest ways that you can pursue God in the midst of your pain is that you learn how to praise him. Psalms chapter 34, verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make a boast unto the Lord, and the humble around me shall hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. What was the psalmist saying? How can you magnify a God that is everywhere at all times? You can't make God bigger, but by the way of your praise, you can increase your revelation of God's bigness. See, some of you are overwhelmed in this season because your eyes aren't fixed on the Lord. You remember, uh, you remember they went out to spy the land and Kelly, they came back and they said, we are like grasshoppers in our own eyes. See, if you look at the stuff that you're going through, it's always going to seem bigger. I told this story, I tell it a lot because I like it. I know this is hard to believe, but I was a brat in elementary. Worship team, join me on the stage real quick because we're going to go in. Um, and I picked on the wrong person. <laughs> and they had a bigger brother. <laughs> and... Um, Brother got on the bus with me, looked at me, said, I'm going to knock. Yeah, I can't tell you all that he said, but fill in the blank. And um, I thought about this, and I was making a game plan. And Alicia, here's what I was thinking. I was thinking, okay, where they're going to drop me off, my house is three houses up, because he can't fight me on the bus. The bus driver will protect me. I said, oh, I'm going to race my tail all the way. Now, I used to be able to run fast, because I was half the man that I used to. Okay. Um, and I run and this bully confidently is kind of walking quickly and I get to the top and I'm ringing the doorbell and I can hear him up behind me and I walk up the stairs ringing that doorbell and when I ring that doorbell I'm facing it and then I turn around because it's not opening because my grandmother was slow to the door 
And I looked around and this bully was looking at me and he said like this, and Zach, just like I'm looking at you, I'm staring at him and I don't have a game plan because I know I look like Tarzan, but I fight like Jane. And I'm saying, Lord, and I'm in fifth grade. I became an intercessor in fifth grade. God, if you can do anything, move right now. Take, let, the, let Gabriel blow the horn. And right as he got ready to step up to me, his facial expression changed. And I was trying to figure out why. And I looked behind me and my grandmother with a roller, rollers covering her hair, bonnet on her head and her muumu, looks and says, do we have a problem? <laughs> I turned around and I said, yeah, do we have a problem? He said, no, ma'am, we don't have a problem. And he left because until he saw something bigger than me, I had a reason to fear, but the reason I don't have to fear is because I have a God who is bigger than every bully that I've ever had to face. I've got a God who sits high and looks low. I've got a God that has no contender. They called him the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. They said he's the Lord the host and the captain of the armies. They said he's the kinsman redeemer. They said he's the lover of my soul. They said he's the wheel in the middle of the wheel. They called him Lord of Lords and King of Kings. They looked around and said he's the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. They said he's more faithful than the rising of the sun and the setting down of the same. They called him El Shaddai and El Elyon. They said he's the healer and the deliverer. They said he's the provider Okay, calm down, calm down, calm down, calm down. Because what I'm trying to tell you is that praise magnifies your revelation of the power of God in your life. You start looking up and singing stuff like forever he is glorified, forever he is lifted high. You start declaring he's your firm foundation and all of a sudden your soul begins to shake. Consistent praise does three things. It magnifies your view of God. Watch this. It confuses the enemy. Second Chronicles chapter 20. It says this in verses 22 through 24. Now when they had begun to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. One thing you don't want to do is come against a praiser. Listen, you better be careful how you talk about me because I'm a praiser. You better keep your mouth off of me because I'm a praiser. Because if there's one thing that God will protect, he'll protect a praiser. Because there's one thing that attracts God. Two things actually. One is a broken and contrite spirit. But the second thing, the Bible says that he inhabits, he lives, he makes his dwelling in the praises of his people. He said, and they were defeated. All my enemies were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitation of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. Let me explain what happened. Jehoshaphat was at war and he didn't have a big enough army. 
but he began to call on Judah and Judah means praise and he said I want you I know we're going to war but I need you to get the musicians and tell the musicians to begin to play why because praise can do more than your fist can so I don't want you to go fighting with physical tangible things because our warfare is not in the natural we war against powers and principalities high up in the spirit realm and so he sends out Judah and Judah begins to praise and this crazy thing begins to happen Claudia as they begin to praise God their enemies begin to fight each other and confusion hit the camp and by the time Israel got up to where the battle was they didn't even have to fight because they had fought themselves what are you saying Pastor Dell? your praise Adrian with everything you've gone through and you still got to praise let me tell you why that confuses the enemy because he actually thinks that there's hope for him to win and he's looking at you going she's had cancer twice she's divorced and she's had three miscarriages and she's still got a hallelujah I, I mean dad didn't raise him mom died on him was molested for two years and he still got the audacity to preach the gospel the devil gets confused that his tactics don't work because for praisers praisers have a revelation that the battle is not mine but it's the Lord's battle yes it is yes it is I'm done the last thing I want to say about praise is not only does it magnify your view of God not only does it confuse your enemies, but it attracts God. Come on, wife, you know men are made in God's image and if you want your husband to go take out the trash, you don't start complaining and fussing. You let me go, babe, I saw you take out the trash last week. And you know that little bald spot you got on your head? It was glistening in the sun and I was like, baby, let me tell you something. You won't have to ask him to take out a paper bag. He'll get up and find trash. I just gave somebody some counseling right there. But let me tell you how God is. God is the same way. Says that he lives, he inhabits. Don't, you're not a black church, Dale, calm down. He, he inhabits the praises of his people. In Acts the 16th chapter around the 25th verse, the Bible says that Silas was on his first mission trip with Paul and they were preaching the gospel and casted out a demon from a young girl who was saying the right thing with the wrong spirit. They were moving in ministry and doing everything that God had told them to do and they got chained up and they got beat up and illegally locked in jail. Theologians and historians would tell you that this is not a normal jail. They were at the bottom of the jail where there would be about four feet of mucky water. You would have rats and cockroaches and all kinds of things floating around there. And here Paul and Silas are naked in the middle of a trial that they don't even deserve. And they're chained up and Silas is looking at Paul going, well, I didn't expect this to happen. What do we do here? And Paul looks at him and says, well, since we've been beat up, since we've been whipped, since we've been placed in chains, we might as well have a little praise service. And the Bible says, when it became midnight, Paul and Silas began to pray. 
and not only did they begin to pray but they began to praise because you can't just ask God for stuff without thanking him for what he's already done so they begin to say God I know we're in this situation and you're able to deliver us but I thank you for every shipwreck you've delivered me from I thank you that you didn't let the snake kill me I thank you that no harm came to me they began to praise God and immediately the Bible says that they're chains and they're bound I feel like preaching their bonds were loose and the prison doors began to fall and the chains were loose and all of everybody who were in the prison got up and began to run out and the jailer got ready to kill himself but Paul and Silas said wait we're still here wait a minute hold on hold on I don't get it because for years I preached that text in Acts chapter 16 theologically inaccurate I said praise will get you out of your situation but my problem here they have praised and they've stayed in their situation. Here's what I found out, that praise, it won't always deliver you, but it will bring God a little bit closer. And one thing I've learned about this walk in Jesus is that I'd rather have hell with Jesus than heaven without him. And I'm telling you, the reason you've got to praise is because God wants to step back in the middle of what you're going through. And I'm telling Where, God, I don't, I don't know where you are, but the GBS of heaven says, if I praise you, you'll come and find me. Yeah, I'm depressed and I'm broken, but I'm singing hallelujah because you deserve it. I need somebody to catch this because you've been going through you're going through and the enemy is trying to stop you from praising God because he knows the power that's in your praise but I'm telling you some of you need to go back home and just walk around and just start saying thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you for every way that you've made thank you for every body that you've healed thank you for every spirit that you've ever delivered you've got to start praising God and watch the atmosphere begin to shift we thank all of you guys for joining us for service or listening on YouTube. Really hope that it was a blessing to you. So if there's something you want to do after, if you want to take a next step, there's three steps you can do. First is get involved. If you want to serve, if you want to volunteer, or you just want to get to know us a little bit better, then go to thecollide.com interested so we can connect with you. Second is if you want to give. If you want to support what God's doing at Collide City Church financially, then we need your support. Then go to thecollide.com slash give. And last but not least, if you want to give your life to Jesus today, then you can go to thecollide.com slash salvation. And we want to connect with you. We want to be a part of your story. So it's all on the website. Thank you so much. Have a great week.